This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, June 2nd. I'm Matt Hoish. And I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, SMRHA welcomes new manager. Town Council considers expanding local vending. Telluride's newest avalanche expert. And a mountain weather forecast. The San Miguel Regional Housing Authority has a new manager. Courtney McElaney is the new chief executive and will be responsible for all day-to-day operations for the authority. There's no better feeling than helping connect community members to affordable and safe housing. McElaney is quick to draw a distinction between SMRHA and the Telluride Housing Department, which manages the large-scale publicly owned rentals in the town of Telluride, such as Shandoka and the upcoming Sunnyside Project. SMRHA, on the other hand, administers deed-restricted housing in the county. Locally, those deed restrictions might look like someone has to earn their living primarily within the Telluride R1 school district. They might have to have a net, a net asset limitation, no, not owning property within the region, and maybe an income limitation. McElhaney is no stranger to SMRHA. She has a range of experience with the Housing Authority. So I started in the summer of 2019 because the organization needed extra hands for the Silver Jack and Longwill lotteries. And so my main my main responsibility then was to administer that lottery and help people get into their future homes. And then after that, I moved into more of an outreach role where I was sort of creating all of our brochures and marketing materials, and then I also helped relaunch the new website. Most recently, she was the administrative coordinator for the organization. So I was just basically administering all the deed-restricted programs, so that'd be processing applications, making sure people are approved and qualified to get into their housing, and then, um, you know, compliance checks, answering questions. The, The coordinator has a big role as well. McElhaney replaces SMRHA's previous executive director, Karina Howard. Over the last few years, due to the pandemic and staffing changes, McElhaney notes SMRHA has been mainly focused on administrative duties, such as processing applications. As the new leader, she says she wants to add back in more educational programming. So that might be educating the community on just what is a deed restriction? Uh, how can you purchase your fo- first home? So first, uh, first-time first buyers education and also just being a connector to resources. She also points to the importance of partnerships. There's so many great projects moving forward, and I, I would like to see us be a bigger part of those meetings and understanding the process of those timelines. So when these projects will be available, that's a question that we get quite often, or when are the, the new buildings coming? And so staying on top of that and being able to communicate those timelines with uh, people that come into our office. McElhaney also comes in the midst of other changes for the organization. Last year, the town of Mountain Village left SMRHA, leaving only the town of Telluride and San Miguel County in the housing authority. Still, McElhaney says that allows SMRHA to focus on fewer deed restrictions. I mean, I just see it, see it as more of a focus on these two restrictions and then being able to be more involved in the current housing initiatives and projects that are coming up. More information on the San Miguel Regional Housing Authority and the services they offer is available at smrha.org. 
More food carts and farm stands could be coming to Telluride. Last week, Telluride Town Council discussed adding vending locations around town based on higher demand. Here's town clerk Tiffany Cavanaugh. There were 12 applications received for nine available permits. And I think the vending subcommittee is always in a difficult position when they receive more applications than there are permits because we always have applicants that are really motivated and hopeful that they're going to get a permit. And then when they don't get a permit, it's really disappointing. And so the subcommittee did recommend at the main meeting um, that council consider additional locations in town. During a work session, Kavanaugh recommended town council consider adding vending to South Spruce Park. There is a bar located right there that gets out at 2 a.m. So if it could provide some late night vending, if um, council would like to consider that. Parks and Recreation Director Stephanie Jacquet notes both Mountain Film and the Telluride Film Festival use the park for their festivals. Parks and Rec and the town will need to consider those festivals if they approve vending in the location. There's also a space on the southwest corner of West Pacific and South Davis near their bar. And it could be a location where a vendor could get established, but it would probably be short term because of the southwest area conceptual plan that's in progress. We don't know what's going to happen to this green space in the future. And so it may be a little unfair to a vendor that gets established there and then the spot goes away and there's no other alternatives for them. Finally, the sidewalk outside the Silverjack building on the corner of Pacific Street, outside the AHA. Kavanaugh adds council could also consider splitting vending locations to allow some for the day and others for the night. One of the vendors that applied this summer that was denied wanted to mostly do late night. And right now, the way that our code reads, there's only nine permits available and it specifically states that um, is specific to those locations and there's really no opportunity for sharing. So that is something that we could possibly look at, not for this summer, I think it would be much too detailed for that, but possibly going into future years is um, splitting those current locations into maybe a daytime and then nighttime to accommodate a nighttime vendor. Kavanaugh notes making amendments to the vending code is a multi-step process, so it would likely take until August for a new vendor to take up shop in town. The vending season ends in October. When it comes to whether or not adding more vending locations is a good idea, council member Dan Enright has concerns. At some point, there is an eventual upper limit of permits that we can have. And so I'm a little hesitant to want to continue to issue more permits. I could maybe see an argument of a number of businesses that sort of served that lunchtime rush uh, have have closed in the last couple of years. So there might be some space at the moment to fill that need. But I'm also hesitant that, because I believe that the more services you provide, the, the more they get utilized and it has a bit of a snowball effect. Council member Mian Fee disagrees. I'm in favor of increasing the number of vending um, spaces that we have. I actually really like the space in front of AHA um, quite a bit because I think it'll actually draw people off of Main Street. And given the the congestion that we sometimes see in the summer, I think that that any amount of people that we can draw into other parts of the of the community would be beneficial to everyone. 
During public comment, Ellen Eleven shared her support for increasing the number of vendors. Levin previously owned a breakfast lunch location in town. What the feedback that I got was that there just aren't enough places for locals to get lunch, to get food. If you're working and you have an hour break where you can feed yourself, there's just like this kind of um, uh, void in our um, food offerings. And I think the places that do offer that are slammed and kind of at their maximum. So I really see these food carts as um, helping the people who actually live here, like feeding the locals, you know, if you don't need the full dining experience, but just need to grab some food. I think it's a great option. I think it's great for entrepreneurs who can't necessarily take on the overhead of a Telluride brick and mortar, um, but it really opens up some doors for some people who have some creativity and cool ideas. Town council did not come to any decisions regarding Regarding vending during the work session, but directed staff to collect more information on the specifics of the different locations. Council plans to continue the discussion at its retreat on June 9th. One of the most important resources you can have in the backcountry is knowledge. The Telluride region recently gained one more expert to help build that local knowledge base. Vicki Hormuth is the executive director at the American Institute for Avalanche Research and Education, also known as ARI. She's also one of Telluride's newest residents. KOTO spoke with Hormuth about the nonprofit and her avalanche work. The conversation began with a discussion about the education they provide. So we are curriculum creators, and we provide that curriculum to ARI providers. So we work with about 115 providers across the United States. Those include a couple here in our backyard. Those folks are the ones teaching our curriculum. Uh, we also train instructors, we certify instructors to teach our curriculum specifically. Uh, so many folks in the community probably have taken an ARI course, an ARI 1, an ARI 2, a rescue course. Uh, these are one to three day courses that teach you decision making in the backcountry and how to return home to have another adventure. And you are the executive director of ARI. How did you come to be in that position? How did getting into avalanche education come into your life? Totally roundabout. And, you know, 20 years ago when I was getting into backcountry skiing and if you told me one day you're going to be the executive director of this organization, I would not have believed you. I um, studied geography at um, CU in Boulder, mostly focused on fluvial geomorphology. Ooh. So like super nerdy around waters and, and snow. So it was actually a great background. But then after that, fell into working with nonprofits. As it turns out, I had a knack for communicating with people and quickly got immersed into the fundraising and strategic partnership side of nonprofits. So I've had about a 20-year career working in nonprofits, most recently with the American Alpine Club. And I've been a backcountry skier for 20 years. So it's a cool opportunity for me to weld together my personal passion and professional experience. How do you imagine um, being in Telluride is going to shape your work with ARI? You know, that's a really great question. ARI headquarters really rests wherever the executive director is. And for me, when I started ARI, that was on the Front Range in Denver. Um, then Scott and I, my husband Scott, we moved to Vail and lived there for about three years. Um, Telluride's a whole nother animal 
the mountains down here are bigger. There are serious consequences, more serious consequences, some would argue, um, with the backcountry skiing down here. And you have a huge population of professionals that live down here, actually. Um, aside from creating this recreational curriculum, we also provide professional courses. And there's a huge population of those types of folks who live in Silverton, in Telluride, in the Ridgeway area. And a lot of them are employed actually directly by Aerie. So it's a really cool opportunity to open the door to some different types of conversations and really understand what Aerie can do for this community. So I'm excited to be here and meet people who use the backcountry or are professionals and understand what Aerie can do for them. Um, we also have a women's mentorship program. We're really working to change the landscape of professionals working in this industry, which is largely dominated by white men currently. So I'd love to support anybody, but specifically women in this community, who are looking to become a professional of some kind who are interested in that. Well, you are stepping into the community. Um, I should say you are you are a few weeks into being a member of the Telluride community, and I have to ask, what are you looking forward to doing outside of your, your formal avalanche work um, as a new Telluride local? I was invited to join a softball team this year, and I've never played, um, but I'm having a blast. I've played a couple of games now, and it's just been such a great way to try something totally new and very out of my comfort zone, but also to be surrounded by really what Telluride is, which is an incredible and welcoming group of people who we've had so much fun and they've been incredibly supportive. And it's just fun to feel already a part of something in this community. Vicki Hormuth is the executive director at the American Institute for Avalanche Research and Education, also known as ARI, and one of Telluride's newest residents. Vicki, thanks so much for stopping by and chatting. Thanks, Matt. Great to be here. With housing prices on a seemingly endless rise, home ownership can feel like a pipe dream. But every now and then, the opportunity pops up. And when it does, you want to be ready. This Saturday, Housing Resources of Western Colorado, a Grand Junction-based nonprofit, will teach a free homebuyer education course at the Lone Cone Library in Norwood exclusively in Spanish. The course will cover a range of topics, including financing, credit and income considerations, the appraisal process, and getting down payment assistance. The course will also go over the details of how to purchase one of the new deed-restricted homes in Norwood's Pinion Park. The nonprofit behind that development is sponsoring the workshop. The free homebuyer education course in Spanish will take place at the Lone Cone Library in Norwood on Saturday, June 4th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Sometimes a book club is about an adventure, some epic tale in a far-off land filled with battles, mysteries, and glory. But sometimes the book club is the adventure. This Saturday, the Wilkinson Public Library will host its first adventure book club of the summer. This first gathering is a bike to the brewery. The club will meet at the library at 3.30 p.m. and ride together to the Telluride Brewing Company to chat about books and, who knows, maybe have a beer. You can also just head straight to the brewery at 4.15. The Wilkinson Public Library's Bike to Brewery Adventure Book Club is this Saturday, June 4th. Bikers will take off from the library around 3.30 p.m.
Live music is back as summer gets into full swing. This Friday, Kevin McCarthy is playing Heritage Plaza from 1 to 6 p.m. Brent Cowles is on for Music on the Green in Reflection Plaza from 5 to 7 p.m. And Flatliner Express is at the Rainbow Rockies Rascals 50th Anniversary Fundraiser at the Transfer Warehouse from 6 to 9 p.m. Saturday, catch Heather and Douglas at Heritage Plaza from 1 to 6 p.m. And Sunday, Shondaland is playing Heritage Plaza from 1 to 6. And next week, Ordinary Elephant is playing the Citizens Bank Rooftop Series out in Uray on Tuesday, June 7th from 7.30 to 8.30 p.m. For more information on local live music, check out KOTO's live music calendar at koto.org. The nonviolent crime records of more than a million Coloradans will soon be sealed thanks to a new law Governor Jared Polis signed this week. As KOTO Scott Franz reports, advocates say the Clean Slate Act will make it easier for people to find jobs and housing after serving a sentence. Prosecutors around the state have two years to seal the records. Until now, residents had to apply and pay to have the record removed. Abby Moffitt Ruby is a defense attorney who helps people seal them for free. She says the new law will remove a stigma from job searches. It promotes dignity and allows people to integrate and be successful in our society. Lawmakers from both sides of the aisle backed the effort to automatically seal the records. I'm Scott Franz at the state capitol. Like many employers in the Mountain West, Grand Teton National Park is struggling to house and retain its workforce. But the challenge isn't unique to that park. As Will Walkie from KHOL and Jackson, Wyoming reports, the U.S. Department of Interior is looking into ways to fund innovative lodging solutions both in Teton County and in other national park gateway communities across the country. Sam Ritchie's home is steps away from the National Elk Refuge. She says it has everything she needs, a bedroom, kitchen, and sitting area with a comfortable couch. It's wonderfully cozy and it's hilarious because at work, I work on log cabins all day and come to live in one every night. She first took a job with the National Park Service in the summer of 2017 when she was a backcountry ranger in Yellowstone. It was isolating work. Grocery trips meant an hour and a half drive to Jackson. But she loved it anyway. I've managed to live in incredibly beautiful places and work with my hands most of the day and work outside most of the day. And I kind of realized that that was a priority for me. Richie's performed historic preservation work for the Park Service in western Wyoming for the past few years. And this spring, she's starting a new full-time position doing trail work for Grand Teton National Park. Last month, there was also a major development that boosted her quality of life outside of work. She moved into a full-time place to live. In the last year, I've really considered looking at other parks that have more stable housing situations in the surrounding neighborhoods and cities. But thankfully, it lucked out that the park was able to offer me housing, and I'm currently living in park housing, which is actually affordable and kind of allows me to exhale a little bit. Richie says she was displaced four times in two years while navigating market rate housing in Jackson. Her former landlords sold their properties or jacked up the rents, and tenants in Wyoming don't have many rights to challenge those decisions. As a result, Grand Teton Superintendent Chip Jenkins says many of his employees are struggling to find permanent lodging right now. 
unless a person really comes from unusual circumstances and are able to be able to muster the capital to get into the private market, that's not a choice that is open to our employees. The median home sale price in Teton County eclipsed $4 million this year. Just about 14% of the park's employees choose to live in private housing, Jenkins says. But by 2026, that number will be down to about 5%. And what's happening now is that every time we have a turnover in positions, so for example, we had our uh, chief ranger who has been a longtime resident in town. When they have moved on to other jobs, when we hire our new chief ranger who came down from Alaska, she can't afford to get into the housing market. She, her husband, and her son, um, they can't afford to rent or to buy. So we need to be able to provide their housing. Jenkins estimates that he needs 35 new households in the next four years just to retain his current staff. And that's not accounting for future needs. 3.8 million people visited Grand Teton in 2021, a record amount. So Jenkins says it's logical that the park will need to add more staff eventually. You know, I think we have a need for uh, more custodians, uh, for more law enforcement rangers. Frankly, we, part of what we need is we need more digital rangers. We need people who are helping in order to be able to provide information to people so that they can plan their trips. Grand Teton has a full-time housing officer who maintains current stock, matches employees with rooms, and manages any issues that come up. Jenkins is also working with the Park Service's headquarters in Washington, D.C. to strategize how to quickly build more units. He says that's critical not only to keep his organization running, but for the local community as well. It's our responsibility to keep the roads open from Moran down to, you know, down to town. Uh, we have mutual aid agreements with the sheriff and the police department and the emergency medical services and the fire department. And I think this last year, we responded to over 50 emergency calls just up in Buffalo Valley. Speaking in testimony in mid-May before Congressional Committee, National Park Service Director Chuck Sams said he's asking for additional funding for employee housing in his annual budget. Millions are specifically allocated for Grand Teton and other western areas. Median home purchase prices continue to rise throughout the United States and many of our gateway communities. And short-term vacation rental markets are thriving and therefore taking away from our seasonal work staff who usually wouldn't be able to find uh, a housing in our gateway communities. Beyond more funding, the federal government is also looking into alternative ways to develop. In Maine, lawmakers are proposing a land transfer from Acadia National Park to a local organization so they can build more workforce housing units in the nearby town of Bar Harbor. That's a difficult strategy under current regulations, but earlier this month, Associate Director of Park Planning, Facilities and Lands for the Park Service, Michael Caldwell, told a U.S. Senate committee he'd like to explore options like that more often. We're working with others to try to maybe gain some more flexibilities and authorities that are needed for public-public and public-private partnerships to help us with our housing needs. To that end, two Western members of Congress introduced a bipartisan act last month that would cut red tape around private-public partnerships with the goal of building quickly in gateway communities like Jackson. But it hasn't gained traction yet. Meanwhile, Grand Teton National Park is dealing with another issue connected to the cost of living in Jackson, employee recruitment. Jenkins says he has about 25 open positions for the summer season, lodging included, but no candidates to take them. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, I'm Will Walkie in Jackson, Wyoming. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly clear skies tonight with a low around 40 degrees. Friday, expect mostly sunny skies with a high in the mid-60s. Friday night should be partly cloudy with a low around 40 degrees. 
Saturday calls for mostly sunny skies with a high in the mid-60s. Saturday night should be mostly cloudy with a low in the mid-40s. This has been the news for Thursday, June 2nd. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. Hola, oyentes de Coto. Comience el mes de la herencia inmigrante con una fiesta de la comunidad en el parque de la ciudad. Únese a la fiesta organizada por Tri-County Health Network y otras organizaciones locales para divertirse para toda la familia. Disfrute de música, baile y deliciosa comida, y tome un columpio en una peñata también. Traiga a sus amigos y familiares a esta celebración multicultural este domingo de 12 a 3 p.m. en Town Park. Esperemos verle allí. Hey, Coto listeners! Kick off Immigrant Heritage Month with a community fiesta in Town Park. Join the party hosted by Tri-County Health Network and other local organizations for fun for the whole family. Enjoy music, dancing, and delicious food, and take a swing at a piñata as well. Bring your friends and family to this multicultural celebration this Sunday from 12 to 3 p.m. at Town Park. We hope to see you there. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.